Hello and welcome to the Career Explorations and Genomic Medicine Research Podcast. This program is sponsored by the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill's Program for Precision Medicine and Healthcare. This Career Explorations program is aimed at undergraduate students. Our goals are to help you expand your knowledge of potential careers related to genomic medicine research. And we hope to increase your understanding of what you will need to do to become a member of the genomic medicine research workforce. We also want to help you build a supportive network of professionals. Each episode of this podcast series presents a conversation with a researcher or clinician who works in a particular aspect of genomic medicine research. Hi, I'm Helena Kshistek, and uh, I am a bioinformatics data analyst at UNC Chapel Hill. So I have many roles. Um, I mainly work for a research collaborative at UNC called BARC, um, so the Bioinformatics and Analytics Research Collaborative, but I also provide bioinformatics support for cancer genomics projects at the high throughput sequencing facility on campus. So in addition to that, I am involved in a couple projects um, for the predictive analytics branch of the program for precision medicine. So in my main job for BARC, I consult and conduct analytics for multiple projects with PIs on campus, some of them that do genomic research projects. Uh, PIs who don't have a bioinformatician in their lab will come to us for bioinformatics support. Uh, We may be involved early on and consult on their experimental design, but most often we are given the raw data output directly from the sequencing facility or post-processed data sets. So in my daily work, I use mostly Python, R, and Unix. I write my own code, and I also use existing open source software. Uh, that's written by other researchers. I work a lot on the high-performance computing environment, or HPC, which is this remote supercomputer uh, that's available to researchers on campus. Uh, I spend some of my day working on my own projects, um, and then that's also punctuated with remote meetings now, either with those PIs to update them on their projects or meetings among our fellow analysts to bounce ideas off each other and work through our code together. I also mentor and advise interns and junior analysts on their projects. Uh, I actually started this job as an internship for my master's program, and I was hired on full-time after that. So I did my master's of professional science in biomedical and health informatics, and my bachelor's is in cell and molecular biology. So I have both the informatics background and the biology background, uh, which comes in to be useful in my job. I do work on several genomic medicine projects. So some of those are uh, my main project right now that I'm currently focusing on is building a pipeline to call novel somatic variants that may uh, be related to focal epilepsy. So to do that, I am comparing brain and blood sequencing samples. So I write code to identify variants present in brain samples that are not present in the human reference genome and not present in the blood samples. Uh, Because in this scenario, we're treating the blood variants as germline or inherited mutations. Uh, In my internship project for my master's, 
was actually working with the NC Genes 2 project out of Jonathan Berg's lab, and that was focusing on germline or inheritance. Uh, inherited variants in exome sequencing, uh, which could contribute to medical phenotypes that were not genet genetically explained at that point. Um, and in addition to that, I, I do ad hoc analyses on cancer genomic data to support the large contract studies that UNC sequencing facility has, often from the National Cancer Institute uh, or other institutes around the U.S. So that's a brief overview of what I do. Um, feel free to ask me about my education, how I got here, or about the projects I work on. Hi, I'll start. Um, so I know you mentioned how you got your master's. So like, was it from undergrad straight into master's? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, sorry. Did, Go ahead, if you didn't. Oh, no, that was it. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, I actually didn't. Um, I took probably five years off in between. And I, for four of those, I actually taught genetics um, over where I got my uh, bachelor's at Duke. Uh, so I was teaching in the biology department. I really enjoyed that. I really enjoy teaching and mentoring other students or or people, you know, in, in my research collaborative. So after uh, teaching, I learned more about genetics. Um, I did my honors thesis in undergrad that was a combination of cell biology and computational biology. And from that, I learned, oh, I really like the data analytics part of biology. So I kind of combined that knowledge I got from my honors thesis together with the genetics I learned on the job and I was like, I want to apply to grad school. Uh, and while I was doing that, I actually worked at LabCorp in the hematology department. Thank you. Yeah, so I'm of the opinion that you don't have to have a direct linear path to you know, grad school or towards your career. I think people that know straight away what they want to do is great, but I also think that everything is a learning experience, like whether that's educational, whether that's professional, if you're teaching or you're working in industry, I think you can draw from all those experiences and learn about what you're interested in. And so to follow up on that um, question, sorry, um, is there a reason why you chose like a master's versus like a PhD or what was yeah. in that? Yeah, so a lot of bioinformatics um, programs are a combination of wet lab and data analytics, and um, I kind of am leaving the wet lab to others right now. Um, I'm like, give me your data, I will work with your data, and I will support you, but I will not do the wet lab myself. Um, but I, one reason why I did my master's was I am hoping like after two to three years in, in this job and research um, to flip over to industry. Um, and there are a lot of in, like entry level or mid entry level positions in industry that you can pivot from the masters and you don't have to go through the full training of a PhD. So that was just, that was my decision. You know, like a PhD is definitely very valuable. And if you want to get into more senior 
and administrative positions in industry, that is a key asset. Um, but if you just want to get into industry, for example, and start working up your experience, you can, you can climb up the ladder that way too. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. I definitely like consider myself a lifelong learner and I haven't ruled out um, going back for a PhD again after like some experience, you know, working experience, probably in data science, um, more so than, than bioinformatic, like wet lab uh, programs. But yeah, my, my program over here at uh, UNC Chapel Hill also has a PhD option in biomedical and health informatics. And the nice thing I really liked about my program is that it's super flexible, mostly because it's a very new program. Uh, so, you know, both for my master's and the PhD students, they're really flexible about what in the huge umbrella of biomedical and health informatics you want to focus on. So I told our program directors like, hey, we have these pre-established tracks of clinical informatics and public health informatics that are well known, but like, I want to do bioinformatics and I would like to do more information and data science. He's like, that's great. We'll support you. Um, and it was cool kind of being able to make my own path. I have another question if nobody, <laughs> I don't want to be. No, like, go for it. Um, so like going back to your data science, like what made you interested in data science? Because it's, I'm interested in data science as well. And I'm trying to figure out like how to like, you know, get into it more um, before I start applying to like grad school. So mm -hmm. yeah, like what made you interested in like, how do you plan on using data science and bioinformatics? Yeah, so what got me interested in data science? I, I think that honors thesis was a good introduction to just the volumes of data that are coming out of new technology. And in biomedical informatics, that may mean like DNA and RNA sequencing, which is part of the time what I work with, but it also can mean like electronic health records, which is another new technology that is a huge source of data in biomedical informatics. So I haven't, and partially it's because I'm, you know, I feel like I'm still learning in this job, which is one reason I like it so much. I just work on a variety of projects and that poses me to a lot. So um, for the predictive analytics branch of precision medicine, I've been able to work on electronic health record data. And so that kind of generated um, interest in data science, like how can we learn to make that data actionable, right? For predictive analytics, health analytics. Um, and just like, I, I think a, a main interest of mine is how can we make this data coming out of all these new technologies actionable, right? And how can we help it, help use it to improve the human condition? Right, and like what um, issues have you, have you noticed, like, with working with the EHR data? Because I've heard it's so unorganized and unstructured. And it's not yeah. at <laughs> You are absolutely right there. Um, it is a challenge because, really, historically, these EHRs were not designed to be able to extract data. They were designed for billing and administrative purposes. So... For one, you need a lot of domain knowledge to understand like the ICD-10 coding, right? The disease and, and symptom coding. So on one hand, you need a lot of domain knowledge. 
so you have to, so we partner with with doctors with uh, these clinical informaticians over at our uh, it's called Traps uh, at UNC, which I think is like translational clinical support system, something like that. Um, so so I've noticed like one a lot of domain knowledge, right? And you need experts in that. Two, it is structured strangely where there are connections between data sets in a way that are not intuitive if you're looking at it from purely a data science point of view. So you need to learn that. Um, there's a lot of missing data. You know, you can't control each provider, how they enter data, you know, different training trains providers differently. Um, so that's a challenge, a lot of missing data and a lot of needing to impute data meaningfully uh, from EHRs. Uh, also, there is right like structured and unstructured data. So a lot of natural language processing has been employed to mine that free text space that's at the bottom of each patient's chart. Right, so you need to learn like the language, like the computer needs to learn the language of each provider and the different terminology they use. And you know, what is that language connected to? Like what kind of disease codes or, or symptoms that it's connected to? So it's, it's really multi-layered, uh, the complexity in EHR data, but you know, that also keeps it interesting. Like it can be frustrating sometimes, but it, it does keep it interesting. Yeah, so do you feel like you spend, like, a lot of your time cleaning the data and, like, oh, <laughs> Absolutely. Like, I have a coworker who he kind of trained me, and he's like, Helena, 80%, 90% of our job is data pre-processing. Uh, and that's the reality. Like, the actual analytics, like, a lot of the times the algorithms, you know, you're not writing them yourselves most of the time. Um, they're pre-written, and it's, like, like hit enter on one function and it does this fancy machine learning algorithm. Um, but in order to get the data into a usable format like that takes a lot of data wrangling and, and like imputing of missing values. So that itself can be a lot of work, but also like kind of like a brain puzzle. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All really good. Hi, um, I came in a little late. Can you explain more about the predictive analytics for genetics? Sure. Um, so pre predictive analytics and genetics. Um, so predictive analytics, mostly what I do is from EHR data, right? Electronic health records. Um, and one project I am starting in a few months is, for example, trying to see if certain disease codes and symptom codes are predictive of genetic diagnoses down the line and how well those correlate. Um, and if there's a way we can predict genetic diagnoses that happen years later. So that's an example of how predictive analytics and genetics can be connected. Um, generally, the like data science, bioinformatics that I do on genetics is directly from DNA sequence and RNA sequence data uh, mm -hmm. that comes out of the sequencing facility that I work for, right? So you get these raw fast Q files 
that's the raw data and you know, you have to, it, it depends what you want out of it, right? Do you want gene expression data? Then you have to do like an alignment of those reads to the reference genome. And you have to normalize for a lot of the biology and sequencing. So there's, there are these pre-written, well, pre-written, there are model pipelines that we use and modify for our purposes. So, so one part of the newer research collaborative that I work for is standardizing those pipelines. So, so I'm still writing a lot of new code that we don't have, but our hope is to standardize that and speed up these processes. So how much of your coding so far is just, um, like how, how much has like the pipelines been modernized for everyone to be used? everywhere um so you know um a lot of it is on my computer right now and uh i github is a super useful tool so that's that's one thing have you heard of github before yes yeah so github is a really good like version control tool so that's what we're using right now but there are also paralyzing softwares you can use like nextflow or snakemake where you can codify your your github code and then you just insert the fast key files, hit enter, and it, you know, it'll take a few days, but it'll run through all these processes that we're writing up and output a usable, usable information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Sure. So I have a question. Um, could you talk more about how you manage multiple projects at once? Because I know like sometimes it could be hard. Yeah, that's a good question. And that's definitely something I learned in my internship. Um, and I quickly had to learn for this job. Uh, I balance, I, at the moment I'm working on that uh, epilepsy somatic variant calling pipeline, which takes more of my time than a project does usually. So I've cut down to about three projects, but I also mentor on like three or four others. So I learned quickly that I can't work on all seven or eight projects every day, right? It's just there isn't enough time in the day. And I personally don't do well if I like focus on something for 30 minutes and then pivot right? Like for myself personally, I learned about me that I need some time to really get in the zone and, and focus on a problem. So I kind of plan out my weeks where I'm like, okay, I have a meeting Wednesday on this project. I need to spend four hours before Wednesday morning on this project. And so I kind of, I plan the day before like before I leave work, I'm like, this is my plan for tomorrow with some flexibility because I'll always be asked to do stuff ad hoc too that I can't really predict. Um, you know, just like small analyses for like the sequencing facility. So I try to hit like two to three projects per day. And before I leave for the day, write out an, a skeleton outline of what I'm doing the next day, just so I can, you know, now that we're working from home, it's important to draw boundaries of leaving work at work virtually and, and then, you know, your, your own life. So 
I try to plan out what I do the next day with some flexibility and just kind of plan out my week and make sure I'm touching on each project so one doesn't get left far behind. But you definitely need to learn to prioritize. Um, We use a project management software called JIRA, uh, which we're starting to use in the School of Medicine at UNC. A lot of labs use. So that's kind of like a shared platform for like time spatial organization of knowing which of my projects are highest priority. Um, And I kind of work with the project manager on that. But there's definitely like an organizational level of project management, right? And then there's your personal level. So it's all a learning experience and what works for for you as an individual. But uh, that's how I do it. Thank you. Just a follow-up question. So since you're working on multiple projects, who are the usual like types of professionals that you collaborate with? Because not everyone does the same job as you. So, Yeah, absolutely. Good question. So I have my, my boss, uh, Dr. Prof- uh, Corbin Jones. He is in biology and genetics at UNC. So I work with him. Um, I work with my fellow kind of analysts, uh, so Hongwei, who's been on longer than me, who has more of a data science background, um, to junior analysts, one that has more of a data science background, the other one that is more like doing project management for the sequencing facility. Um, our intern is also from my graduate program, so she's doing her internship with us. Uh, so she has an informatics background. So I would say my boss, analysts, project managers, um, other people in the collaborative, which are kind of my supervisors, um, there are other professors, like assistant and associate professors. And then we have like the clients, essentially, who are other external PI research collaborators where we're taking on their projects and trying to return to them a product to publish. So I, I definitely work with a variety of people and, you know, some of which mentor me, some of which I mentor. Um, and I, I really like that about my job. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. And did you attend UNC for your master's or? Was yes, I did. Okay. Uh, yeah, I attended um the Carolina Health Informatics Program, CHIP, if you, if you look us up. Uh, so they have both a Master of Professional Science program and also a PhD program, which is a little newer. But yeah, if any of you guys have questions about that program, like I'm happy to answer them. And I can also chat you guys my LinkedIn and email. So if you guys have questions afterwards, Uh, after this call, feel free to email me or message me um, in the future. Did you, um, did you have like for financially when you got your master's, were there like a lot of scholarship opportunities through the school or did you have to go, you know, a different route into finding funding or did you have any funding if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, I don't mind. Um, I did get a partial scholarship, you know, which I appreciated, but definitely didn't cover everything. So I did TA a couple semesters um, before I got this job and this internship, uh, which the internship was paid. So I entered 
this, the program with a scholarship. Then I TA'd because it covered three quarters of my tuition, which was great, um, while I started my internship, which covered some more. Um, and then when I already got uh, brought on full time when I was still a student, so I, I used my income to cover it. Nice. And how was your experience TAing? Like, how was that for you? Well, so I essentially, when I was teaching at Duke, pretty much was doing a TA's job plus some administrative work. Um, and I really love that. In general, I really love TAing. I think it was difficult because I did not attend UNC as an undergraduate. So a lot of the people who were TAing went to UNC for undergrad, took this you know, very entry-level biology course, um, and we're really familiar with the material. So it was definitely like an onboarding process. And I think if I had TA'd again, um, like if I hadn't gotten this job, I probably would have TA'd again, and it would have been like a little less of a learning curve. But in general, I love teaching. Um, I think it's very rewarding. I, I am a people person. I like making human connections, you know, on top of the data. I don't, I don't just hole up with my data. Um, so, so I enjoy it. And I, I think it's a really good learning experience for any graduate student to TA at least one, one or two semesters. It's kind of harder with those intro classes, right? Because it's so far removed from what you do at a more specialized level in graduate school. Uh, so, you know, I had to remember this was like bio 101. So uh, I had to remember stuff about photosynthesis I hadn't thought about since like high school. Uh, but it was a good review. It was, it was definitely good to remember the, the breadth of, of what biology encompasses. So yeah, and I recommend it. And did, do you feel like you wish you had known something before starting your internship? Like, was there a certain skill set that you wish you had known about that may could have helped you while you were, while you're interning? Or interning? I think, yeah, I think my, so my program is like, it's right, it's not an MS, it's a MPS. So they focus on the professional part um, aspect of it. So they do a decent job of like, I took a project management class, which definitely helped me manage my time. Uh, I took a writing class uh, that helped with that. They emphasized a lot, like um, I did a professional development class. It was literally called that. And we talked about different aspects of, of professional work. We also, probably what helped me get the internship, no, literally what helped me get the internship was we did like a resume and cover letter workshop. So I, I'm happy with my program that they did that. Um, the internship definitely like for the six months was a super steep learning curve, um, but I really appreciated it because I think exactly, it taught me a lot of stuff that wasn't found in classes, right? So I think it's good to like get you know, coding classes under your belt or, or biology classes or informatics classes, but you learn exponentially more in an internship or work setting. Uh, so it's good to have a good foundation, but I, I really recommend you guys, you know, getting out, getting internship opportunities because you will just learn so much more on the job. Um, I guess I wish I knew some more time management skills before starting, but uh, that's, you know, for me, that's been a lifelong 
process and, and learning process. So uh, that was that was definitely a huge part was like, okay, I have some projects, one of which was actually my quote unquote internship project. And the rest was like my job. Uh, so that was something to learn was how to balance all of those. And I'm still learning, but getting better at it. I will ask you. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, uh, Anjali, please, Anjali, go ahead. I, I was just going to ask like a question based on when you started learning how to code and if you started in your undergraduate career. If not, like what was your undergrad major? Yeah, so I definitely wish I had taken some computer science um, when I was an undergraduate. Um, I only started learning to code for my honors thesis. Uh, so, so that's another reason why I recommend like taking, you know, getting experience on projects more so than just in the classroom. But um, I was, I started off pre-med biology. Um, that was, <clears throat> excuse me, that was my, my track in undergrad. And then my interests and just kind of shifted once I did my honors thesis. Yeah, so so I, I, I didn't actually take any computer science courses in undergrad, but I did afterwards after I graduated. And there's a lot of great, like, open source classware, um, like DataCamp and Code Academy online, where if you want to take more advanced classes, there, you know, there is a payment system, but there's a lot of free material out there, you know, if you just want to get started and get exposure. And honestly, I like those more than like Coursera because they're interactive. You can find, or I can even send you guys the interactive Python textbook we used for my, uh, my advanced Python course, intermediate advanced Python course. So I think like that interactiveness is really important for coding because you can read a textbook and then it's a complete different story when you sit in front you know, of your computer and work with a data set. So um, the way I learned was was through, uh, I guess, open classware and then also just working on projects myself. There's a really good um, data repository called Kaggle, like K-A-G-G-L-E. And they just, they even have like medical imaging data sets on, medical imaging data sets, economic data sets, sales data sets, and they pose challenges. And you can do those challenges in any language you want. And you can see other people's code that they share, like how they approach the problem. Uh, so I do think like classwork is a good foundation, but I do really recommend like trying out, like challenging yourself and doing a project the great thing about doing projects is you can like show people your your github repository <clears throat> in interviews right you can make your own personal website that showcases these projects and maybe they're interactive data visualization projects right so that was one really good recommendation that i got from a coworker was if you want to advance your coding work on projects and publish those projects online so that people when they search your name or are looking 
you know, at you as a potential like internship candidate or job candidate, you can actually show them your work and your skills instead of just telling people about it. Thank you. Just to follow up, so I'm trying to learn Python, and can you just send me that interactive um, textbook link? Yeah, let me see if I can drop it in the chat while we talk. Yeah, I will, I will drop it in the chat, like at the very end, if, if uh, Lana, you don't mind us staying on. I'll sure, just or you can e- email it to me. and I Okay, can maybe, maybe let's do that. It'll take me a second, but yeah, I'm, I'm happy to send a whole bunch of resources, just links. I'll send a few. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So I will ask my question. <laughs> um, I gave a talk recently on algorithmic bias, and okay. I was wondering if, um, which refers to this uh, phenomenon where uh, some algorithms tend to reproduce systemic issues of bias and racism. And I wonder if you see any um, evidence of that in any of the projects that you work on, and if so, what would your suggestions be to address bias in algorithms? I think that is a great question, and I've definitely heard that as well, and that is a major concern. And I think one issue with that, where that comes from is, uh, God, what's the saying? It's kind of like trash in, trash out, like, (laughs) you know, out of your algorithm. So if your data sets are biased, right, if you're not sampling correctly, then your algorithms are trained on quality data that has inherent bias. So the algorithms are going to be biased and output recommendations that are not tailored towards like populations where where your sample set is not as great. So before people write these algorithms, they have to, I think, assess the quality of that data, right? Figure out, is there any systemic bias before you're even training the algorithms, right? Because the algorithms are doing what we tell them to, right? Like, you know, it's it's the data we put into them. So there are methods like upsampling, right? Like bootstrapping. So I think I think that's one way to um, to address that. I think another way is not taking the algorithms like as truth, right? You know, we as humans have to evaluate the results, and we can't just take it for face value. Uh, so I think those are two s- topics to consider. Um, in terms of algorithms I use, I guess where that would come into play is EHR data, right? Because when I work with sequencing data, I usually keep the metadata separate, right? So I'm not really paying attention to the race yet before I layer on the metadata afterwards. So that can kind of prevent some bias, hopefully. Um, I do know the intern we're we're working with right now from my program, she's looking at diverticulitis and stratifying by race um, because the sample set is so large. Uh, But that definitely would be something to talk to her about and be like, be mindful of how your stratification is is affecting results. Is your uh, talk that you gave recorded? Because I would love to hear it. It, to my knowledge, it wasn't recorded. Um, 
but I'd be willing to share the slides if you'd like to look at Yeah, it. yeah, that would be great. Thank you. Or the manuscript that it was based on. That would be awesome. Okay. Um, going back to your um, precision precision medicine, how did you get into that? Like, did someone introduce it to you, or how did that? Yeah. Work? Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead and finish. Oh no, that was it. Okay. Um, yeah, my uh, my boss Corbin Jones um, has his fingers in many pots, um, and I do really like working for him for that reason because I get to work on a wide variety of projects, but. Um, Jonathan Berg, who you guys, do you guys work with Jonathan? Like the Berg lab? I, I forget, like, okay. Yeah, so so Jonathan, um, together with a couple uh, or many other PIs kind of are putting together this precision medicine program, right? And so Corbin knows them and they needed analysts, right, with my background. So I kind of got onboarded to some of their projects and I was definitely like open to that uh, because of the background of my graduate program. So, so it kind of tied in with my graduate education slash there was an opportunity and I had the right background uh, to be of help. But I think precision medicine is kind of like a, a good topic that encompasses all this, right? How can bioinformatics inform health? How can data science affect and give the most precise treatment to the right patient at the right time or the right population at the right time. Uh, so I think precision medicine is kind of like that over that kind of umbrella that fits everything together. So I kind of got into it because, because it aligned with my, with my interests. You said you are thinking about transitioning to industry. Yeah. Um, can you talk to why you are considering the move? To industry for my uh, yeah sure um i do like i value this job in academia so much because it's really perfect for where i am in my career right now mm -hmm. um because i am on topics of like a wide range of of projects and and i don't quite know yet where i want to specialize um so it kind of gives me that opportunity to learn more about myself and my interests and my strengths um but I don't really see myself as becoming like a print, you know, going for, if I do go for a PhD, I don't really want to be in this hierarchical structure of research where I don't see myself becoming like a PI, right? And you kind of have that hierarchy with, with postdocs and graduate students and the kind of like publish or perish uh, mentality, uh, which is really tied into academia. So, um, I think industry kind of gives, it's it's different. I mean, part of the motivation is financial. I, I would appreciate, you know, want to be compensated for my worth and work. And also, I think because there is place for advancement, right? There's, there's place for upward mobility that isn't dependent on degrees, um, on, on your like hierarchy of uh, education. So I think that's part of it too. I also think um, like industry moves faster in some ways, right? So you do get to work on a lot of cutting edge stuff and, and there are so many like layers of this, but thanks for giving me the, the opportunity to talk about it and kind of think it through. Um, but there's also like 
the fact that stuff moves faster, but it's also applied, right? And so one reason I did my master's was because it's applied data science. It's, a, it's applied informatics. And so I'm less interested in the theory of stuff, which is in large part academia, right? And more about the practice. So that's why I, I see myself going in that direction. Yeah, one of the companies I'm actually interested in working for, um, a lot of, a lot of uh, people from my degree get pulled into pharma, right? Big pharma and health insurance companies need a lot of like informatics and data science people, but those fields or, or industries don't really align with my values, um, which I, you know, of like how money is being exchanged and where that's being directed. Uh, so I'm actually interested in like agritech, uh, which is like agriculture technology about, um, crop crops and also just like food security, world food security. Um, and there is, there are roles in bioinformatics for that. So, so that's Syngenta is one of the companies I'm, I'm looking at, uh, to work for in the future. Um, so I guess my question could be. I'm doing an internship and it's actually through um, UNC and mm-hmm. it's like data mining and text mining. Is that like the same thing or is that different? From what I do? Yes. Okay. Um, it is a subfield of data science and I do, I really, more of my job is bioinformatics with some EHR data science. So mm-hmm. data, data mining and text mining mostly is the first part of like data science, right? So it's mm-hmm. when you're when you're collecting that data out of really rich data sets. Um, I think one way that a class explained to me, I took like an information analytics class over in SILS at UNC, which I highly recommend um, mm-hmm. because it exposes you to to stuff like text mining and data mining, but then also the analytics afterwards and the post-processing of data. So I, I remember data and text mining being at the front end, and then you do okay. the machine learning, right, or the analytics, and then the usable data afterwards. So that's my understanding of how it connects. Um, also, like text mining, text data is one type of data, right? But you also have numerical, categorical, right? Um, all these different types of variables. So I would say it's a, it's a sub part of data science and, and definitely a really important part. And so would you say like what you do is a little bit more complicated, like it goes further down into that topic or how? That's a good question. Um, the bioinformatics, I would say, is different, right? Because it's, it's a totally different type of data set. Um, it's sequencing data, which... Actually, like, you know, there's some string analysis, right? Because the text, you know, the sequencing data is four letters, right? A, C, G, T. So there are some approaches that people use to look at it, like text. So I would say it's like one approach, but not not the whole picture, maybe. Okay, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. All these questions are really good because they make me think hard about what I do. <laughs> no, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I have a, I have a question. Um, so if you do go back to pursue your PhD, would you go back into 
um, industry or would you um, stay in academia? Good question. Um, I would be a little torn because, I mean, I think my motivation for staying in academia would be to teach because I really enjoy teaching. I think that would be one reason I do stay. Um, more so, like, I like, I like my job now because it's, it's research, but it's not, like, in-depth, like, you know, in a very narrow field. I get to work on other people's research. So one project I wrapped up right now in paper that we're doing is on COVID-19. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the next project I'm doing is on focal epilepsy. And then the next one I'm doing is about predictive analytics in genetics. So, I mean, I don't know how long I'll stay in this job. I may stay a while because there's so much to learn. Um, and so I don't, I don't really know how a PhD would work in that context just because you usually specialize a lot in a PhD, right? When you do your thesis, it's, it's on a very detailed, uh, and you know, project ab about a topic. So that was, that was another reason why I kind of went for a master's because I've always been a very like horizontally thinking, like translational thinking, mm -hmm. uh, that appeals to me versus, uh, specialization. So if I did get the PhD, it would be to teach is kind of the bottom line. <laughs> so um, my follow-up question is, uh, I remember you mentioning that you like mentor the interns. Like how, um, like what do you like about that? Like does that resemble what you did at Duke before you got your master's? Mm -hmm. That's a great question. Um, in some ways it resembles it in that like I really enjoy like the connection right and helping other people um, I think what I most enjoy also about mentoring like the interns and junior analysts is I get to work on more projects but I don't actually I like kind of advise and like okay you did this analysis this is not working um, maybe we should try this approach um, and they go do it and then we can talk about the results but so on one hand I like help them conceptually with their project on other times I'm in there with them in R trying to translate what error message it's bringing up. So I like it because it's a, it's a variety of work um, and it collaborates with other people. So I, that's probably one of my favorite parts of my job. Wow. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I'll ask another question. Um, so my question just would be in terms of for students who are interested in bioinformatics, how would you suggest or guide them to kind of um, start their own mini project? Because I know like data is kind of limited in terms of like what you can get your hands on. So like what's a good um, resource to kind of get started? Yeah, I think I think that, that uh, Kaggle that I talked about is a good way to get your hands on some biomedical data. Um, I'm pretty sure they do have sequencing data that, that you could work with or even like multi-layered like uh, proteomics and transcriptomics and genomic data. So I think Kaggle is a good resource. Um, and then like, you know, if you uh, have a summer, you know, to spend uh, 
find a lab to work with or, or a company to work with where they can give you a, a bioinformatics projects with their data. Um, but yeah, you make a really good point that sometimes getting your hands on the data, right, with, with access and privacy restrictions can be difficult. Um, there are, I will also, when, when I uh, send the resources to Lana, I think there is like a interactive like bioinformatics. It's, it's kind of old, so the interface doesn't look so great, um, but there is like a tutorial for, for beginning bioinformatics that I know is out there. All right, thank you. Yeah, it, it is hard to get like experience sometimes, but I really like my internship like made my degree like it, it made the educate the degree worth it um and i think was the most valuable part of it uh so and even just like i ended up even though it was kind of a report mine ended up being kind of like a master's thesis it, it was that long um but i i think it's a really good experience and gets you your foot in the door if you do well you can be offered a full-time position and then from there uh have some upward mobility um, and you don't you know you don't have to stay where you intern either you can go on another summer go to another company and learn what you can from them um, so I'm a big proponent of, of getting internships finding them um, I really enjoy working with our interns we in the future hope to have more of course with COVID like all all budgets are tight um, but in the future, definitely like look up Bark at UNC B A R C um, because we plan to have intern more interns in the future. I very much want to see more more women in the field, more uh, more people of color. Um, they're sorely underrepresented, and it can be really intimidating getting into a field like that. Um, I know it was for me. I was the only woman in the room for, for a lot of it. Um, so I definitely want to bring people, you know, those people up with me. Please join me in thanking Helena for joining us today and sharing her experience with us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your question, guys. This was fun. And Definitely, like it makes me think hard about what I do and and reflect, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity. And um, feel free to you know be in touch in the future with me down the road. Um, I will work with Lana to get these resources sent out to you because definitely one thing I wish I had when I started off, right, like post uh, college uh, education, was was these resources. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope they help you. So thank you to everyone who joined the call today and uh, enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye everyone. Bye.